Hello and welcome to In the Wings, your look into the inside world of opera. I'm your host, Emily Deal Reader. In this podcast, we explore the huge and wonderful art form that is opera, and we talk to the people who make it their lives, both on and off stage. This podcast is brought to you by the Calgary Concert Opera Company, and so we've been working on a series of episodes on their upcoming production of La Traviata, Giuseppe Verdi's ever-popular piece about the life, love, and death of Violetta Valeri. Those performances are coming right up. They are September 15th and 16th, 2018, and there will be information on buying tickets in the show notes. If this is your first time listening to the show, you might want to go back and listen to the first two episodes. They include a synopsis of the opera, which is rather helpful for context, as well as a brief discussion of tuberculosis and interviews with several of the cast. Don't worry, we'll be here when you get back. Coming up on today's show, I have two interviews for you. I spoke with Dan Rowley, who is playing the lead tenor, Violetta's love, Alfredo, and I also spoke with Carlos Foggen, the conductor of this weekend's performances and the director of the Rocky Mountain Symphony Orchestra. But before we get into the interviews, I'm going to take a moment to discuss some of the production history of La Traviata since its premiere in 1853. Now, La Traviata has become an extremely popular opera, though the audience and critics at the premiere wouldn't have guessed it. The opening performance in Venice was marred by an inadequate and ill-suited cast. The lead soprano in particular was jeered by viewers for what they considered inappropriate casting. Fanny Salvini Donatelli was an accomplished singer, but the crowd thought her too old and too heavyset to believably play the young consumptive heroine of the opera. Verdi wrote of the premiere, quote, La Traviata last night a failure. Was the fault mine or the singer's? Time will tell. End quote. The production would be revived a year later at a different theatre in Venice, with a new cast and several revisions to the score. This time, the opera was a success. It went on to play in Madrid, Vienna, Barcelona, Paris, and in London, where it was considered morally questionable, though some noted at the time that it was no more licentious than Don Giovanni, so they weren't sure what all the fuss was about. And it finally crossed the pond to play in New York in 1856. You might remember from our first episode that I mentioned Verdi wanted the productions to be set in contemporary times, i.e. the mid-19th century. You may also remember that the Venetian censors strongly objected and insisted it be set in the 1700s. This remained the case for quite some time. La Traviata wouldn't be set in the 1850s until the very end of the 19th century, well after it could be considered truly contemporary. Modern productions of Traviata tend to keep the 19th century setting, though this is by no means a hard and fast rule. In 2013, the English National Opera presented a stripped-down Traviata with a Brechtian vibe, the set comprised mostly of red curtains, the costuming modern. Other changes included the introduction of Alfredo's younger sister, brought along by Germont to guilt Violetta into ending her relationship with his son, and Violetta openly considering suicide by revealing a revolver stashed in her purse. A rather bleak production, no doubt. Another interesting production is that of German director Willi Decker, which premiered in Salzburg in 2005 and was seen at the Met in New York in 2011. 
Decker's production leans heavily on the voyeuristic nature of celebrity. The stage feels like an arena, with the chorus occasionally peering down from over the walls at Violetta in the center, often on a couch, with a giant clock ticking away the minutes of her life. The production also amped up the risque factor, with Alfredo and Violetta clearly just out of the bedroom during their interactions in the first half of Act Two, for instance. The production was generally considered to be interesting, a clever and thoughtful take on the psychological underpinnings of the opera, which can occasionally get lost in poofy dresses and antique sets. Now, of course, in a concert opera production, the singers don't have to contend with staging, sets, stage directions, or even costumes. And you might think that this would lead to a staid, emotionless performance. Everyone just stands with their score and performs, right? Not so. The challenge is to deliver every bit of the drama without any of the occasionally helpful accoutrements. Arguably, a live concert opera is opera at its simplest and most vulnerable. You see only the characters. There are no curtains to hide behind. And with that in mind, let's get to the interviews. First, we'll hear from Dan Rowley, who is playing Alfredo. Dan has been singing for many years, making his debut on the opera stage as a young boy playing Amal in Minotti's Christmas favorite, Amal and the Night Visitors. He is currently based in Edmonton, where he has lived most of his life. He performs in many genres, but considers opera his favorite for its deep emotional connections. What's your experience with Traviata? When did you first meet the opera? I first met it, you know, very young, singing Alfredo parts. So, um, the Libiamo, probably in my mid-twenties. But um, the actual opera itself, I've only ever done scenes. Mm. And so this is a, like a dream, you know, dream come true. To do this is your first the, crack at Alfredo. This is my first crack to do the whole thing, yeah. yeah. You know, because when I was younger, I never really thought about the story. I just thought, oh my, Verdi, so beautiful, you know. Of course, the story, which is so important. Mm-hmm. And if you, don't, if you don't have a good story, yeah, no, it can just be so beautiful. But then the audience is kind of like, so I had so much, I think I've sang the Libiamo thousands of times, you know, and then there's some people, oh, you're going to wear it out? And I'm like, you can never wear that out. No, you know, no, I don't think so. <laughs> it's such a great group, you know, group party. Mm-hmm. It's know. a great piece. It's a great piece. Yeah. So tell me about diving into Alfredo. Basically, last year we was in uh, the show last year of Scenes with Barbara, and I just had two professor's duet and so she you know had talked about doing this didn't think much about it and then she got a hold of me and said you know would you like you to play Alfredo and I thought of it for so long and I never you know any synopsis that I've seen isn't really in depth about Alfredo mm, himself it's true it's all like it's Violetta and mm-hmm. like the general story what happens you know how his father went to Violetta and said you shouldn't doing this Mm -hmm. it's almost like you're gonna embarrass yourself Mm. really start thinking about that and thinking about me and alfredo i mean i'm pretty i'm pretty honest i like just i think his character is just honest he's a romantic Mm. i mean i know how pretty you can name how many characters that are romantic (laughs) sure but i think he is more 
Don Jose was kind of aimless, whereas Alfredo really knows what he wants, I think. Mm. I think, uh, and he doesn't care what you do. If he falls in love, he falls in love. Right. And uh, obviously Violetta has some honesty to her and, and, mm. and some sweetness. I think he sees that, but I think he really knows what he wants. And I think he may be a bit naive. Mm. Um, with the world a little bit, sure. but it's totally, I think, a really honest uh, character. I would posit then that that deep honesty and very precise motivation is why he's so hurt in Act Two. Big time. Yeah. yeah. How has how has the character grown with you as you've been diving into it? You know, going from the the maybe a little bit naive nobleman in act one through the pain in act two and then the decision to come back yeah yeah because i mean partly because of what he found out mm-hmm. and what happened and he didn't realize really what was going on what his dad did yeah. you know what i i got the impression at first that going into act two and stuff that he was kind of so sad and pining and he's not like that even though whatever happened he's so He's very sure of, of himself, and I found at first I was I think it's like three where you know oh make a fetchy that part there I thought that he was just so sad and but he's not he's just very like what can I do mm-hmm. it's not so he's not so sad and so I kind of have been going through a roller coaster of feelings about the way he is sure. and the way the story is and you know I I just come to terms with that he really knows what he's doing. And when he finds out what has happened with Violetta and how um, what his father did, I think he is just like, oh my God! Like I cannot miss being with this woman. Mm. You know, if I think about from the first time I was diving into this to now, I mean, obviously, you know, it's uh, it's, it's been a roller coaster for me sure. because I, because the story of it is um, been really I played Rodolfo and, and Bohem and. And things like that, but Alfredo is a is a different kind of guy. He's like I'm not saying you know, I mean I, th- I feel like he's the most honest character mm-hmm. out of all these characters that yeah. I played. Tell me about some of the challenges and familiarities of playing Alfredo. Is it do you find him have you found him difficult to get into in the past versus now? Is it easier? Has it gotten harder? No, I think it's gotten just easier because of getting to know him. Mm. The story even more. Sure. Because if I've heard so many different angles, and my Italian friends too, a friend of mine, the pianist conductor of Alberta Symphony Orchestra, Emilio Delmacado, good friend of mine, and <laughs> I love the views of the different Italians that I talk to about Traviata. Because I mean, for them, I mean, if being an Italian and knowing this opera is, it's like their whole story i mean all these stories that you know verity and puccini and all that they have a really sometimes a different view do <laughs> share totally I've, i don't know anything about this oh and it's just what, what do they say well me was you know you just uh they always think that how can you understand as a, mm. a as a north american or a, mm-hmm. um what is going on i don't think you can quite and then you know i i i'm singing and they see how i how I'm feeling and how I'm singing the Italian words and they go, oh, maybe I think you do understand. <laughs> maybe you get a little bit of I it. Think you, yeah, I think you do understand. <laughs> I think they just say that off like as a test. Mm. You know, and I'm sure that 
you know, I've, mo- most of my experience is Italian and right. French. I sing in German, Russian, and a lot. But those two, sure. Terms, so if I think about it, I mean, it's pretty, the Austrians and the Germans probably do the same thing. They do How can much. you understand this you opera? You can't. You couldn't possibly. And, okay, so help me understand then. Totally. <laughs> right? That's exactly. <laughs> oh, you don't know. I don't think you can understand if I explained it to you. Just working with Barbara and this cover concert opera. It's just. It's it's amazing. I mean, it's bringing a lot of opportunity to mm. to people mm-hmm. who maybe wouldn't have as, this opportunity as much, right. and making them realize you're you're good enough. You're <laughs> awesome. You know, you're, that's why I feel whenever I'm singing, and I'm always a nur- I like to nurture. I'm not a even if some oh oh you've done terrible, but I, I don't. It, it doesn't matter. You do mm. you do your best. If you really want to do this career, you got to have some failures. You've got to absolutely anything in life, but in this you have to because then you really figure out, really figure yep. out if this is for you. Yep. Because otherwise, I mean, this is the Olympics. Thanks, Dan. Great to talk to you. Next, we'll talk with Carlos Fagan, who is conducting this weekend's performances. He is the director of the Rocky Mountain Symphony Orchestra, which is celebrating its third season this year. Carlos's love of music began very young. He started studying piano before he started grade school, and began studying in chamber music ensembles in his early preteen years. After high school, he took some time to pursue medical studies, as he says, a gap year of 12 years, and then returned to professional classical music. After one particular roller coaster of unfortunate events, he then went into conducting. I guarantee you that we'll hear more about Carlos's journey in another episode, but for now, let's talk about Traviata. My mom used to sing the Libiamo while she was making breakfast, she'd whistle it, and when she got really kind of wound up, she might. She, she was a mezzo, she wasn't a soprano, but she still loved the Semper Libre, so she kind of go nuts on that. And so That's I kind of awesome. grew up with that that in my mind is yeah. opera. Uh-huh. And so not knowing what it was from, but then learning later that it was all from the Traviata. Yeah. And I don't even think she has a favorite opera or could even tell you what it's from. She's, sure. she's not, not a train singer. But uh, just those are just... That she loved. Yeah, just the yeah. pieces that she grew up on LP and... You right. Know, uh, Disney and Looney Tunes, and that, that was the, yep. that was opera, <laughs> and so that's kind of in my mind was, right. was Traviata. Right. I, I do love the story. Well, some might say well, the subject matter. Oh, it's a bit, you know, shades of gray. But I think of it really as, as a love story, and I, I don't really see what her profession had much to do with it, other mm-hmm. than it kind of gives us a bit of backstory right. on why there are multiple men mm-hmm. around her. But I, I think she'd been trying for a, a while to escape it. But it is a commentary on, especially during the times, but even now, the status of women and the difficulties inherent specific because of gender. Yeah, that sure. Just what you were born with, even opportunities, pay scale, everything, just opportunities based on gender. I, I, I do love the story, and I love the villain, the father. Um, when it turns on him in the end and he didn't know that she was dying, it's just such great irony. And I think yeah. we can see it all in our own lives where... We're insisting on something for people or pushing our agenda, not knowing the whole story. Right. And I think it's just the takeaway from it is get to know the whole story before you push for something. Right. For sure. And you'll make a much better choice. Yeah. 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 
Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you conducted the Mercury Opera production. I did conduct the Mercury Kathleen Opera. Was in. Kathleen, yes, Kathleen was Violeta. There were eight runs in the course of two weeks. That was. <laughs> That's a busy. In busy two different run. two different venues. Um, one shadier than the other. Yes, um, so I hear, and that's actually where I'm kind of picking up on this. Yeah. You're going from this one in the strip club to a concert setting mm-hmm. in a church. Does it change at all for you? The music opera is words first. Opera is a story, but opera without music is a stage play. Yes, <laughs> opera has to have the music. And that's what makes it opera. Mm-hmm. That's what makes it not Shakespeare. Yep. That's what makes Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet different from Gounod's Romeo and Absolutely. Juliet. We've added the music. So I think opera needs the music. And for me, that doesn't change a lot. For a stage director, it's a huge, Absolutely. A huge thing. But for, for the music director, the biggest, the biggest question for me would be acoustics. Right. And how does how does the orchestra fill the space? Right. We were a much smaller orchestra. We had a much smaller space. We had a, the size of a bathroom for seven players in Edmonton. Um, and now we've got the luxury of yeah. of a reduced a, a reduced group, but still sixteen or seventeen players right. for the, for this production. Over so, double. So it fills yeah. the space. So, and we right. were in larger venues. Right. And I think the singers appreciate that because they're not singing in 10-foot ceilings. They're sure. singing, right, so sure. they can kind of sing out. And, yeah, 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 yeah. In a production like this, without a stage director, do you find your role changes at all? Or or is that more taken on sort of individually by by the singers? What Does it change what you're aiming for when you're working in a concert setting versus a stage setting? So the hierarchy in an opera house where there is a stage director and a music director. Above all, the stage director is king of the castle. Mm -hmm. The stage director is responsible for the entire production. In the absence of that, it's unique. In the concert setting, it really does fall on the orchestral conductor. So if this was a new opera that I'd never done in a production, I would be terrified. Um, Mm -hmm. But having done it as a production, knowing where the drama can happen and where the dramatic pauses need to lie and the singers in a concert setting really just have and they're reading off their off their scores they they can just read it and be done with it and they fulfilled their duty right but to the audience just making sure that the singers are aware of what's happening and if it were a stage production mm-hmm. what the drama might be i guess the the famous one or the the, the one that i hope people will see in our production um, is in the duet between Giorgio Germont and Violetta, mm-hmm. where we're, we're closing and they sing for 20 minutes right? together. It's, it's, it's an extraordinary it's quite scene. A scene. Yeah. Yeah. And just you run the gamut of emotion. And she's finally reconciled that, okay, she will break up with Alfredo. And the father, rather than. I see it this way. I mean, it's not written, written to the parts, but I see him as kind of smugly, mm-hmm. I've won. I've preserved my family's honor rather than thank you so much for this sacrifice. He says, mm-hmm. you know, sacrificio, but mm-hmm. but I don't think he really means it. Mm. You just think of a, a father trying to preserve his family. It's family above all. There's these, this great ending where they have a duet and then it's written into Violetta's part, piangendo. Um, literally sobbing. Yep. And she sings it. 
And it wasn't happening at rehearsal because the, the drama wasn't there. Right. The, the sobbing and the costumes and it, it was all gone. But uh, talking to the, to the, to the principals, um, I really need you to just sob your guts out here. Like, it can't be beautiful. Right. And you think singing must always be beautiful, bel canto, mm-hmm. right? The beautiful voice, but no, it needs to be ugly. It needs yeah. to be like mascara running everywhere, dirty, drippy, sobbing. It's got to be. You've you've just been berated by this man for a half hour, or probably if the clock were actually ticking over about four or five hours the entire afternoon, you've been at it, and it's been condensed into thirty-two an opera. And Germain was copying the emotion that she was putting in. And one thing I, I said, no, 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 you've won. She's, adio, adio. <laughs> Let's, like, okay, I've won. Let's yeah. get out of here. Yeah. Can you just be cold as yeah. the devil himself? And she's just like dying here, pouring her guts out, sobbing. Right. Yep. And you are just the cold, heartless father. Yeah. You, you yeah. have that has to come across, yeah. even though it's a concert setting. Mm-hmm. So that background. Maybe just stage directors not giving that, but as the as the conductor, right. if you have the benefit of having done it as a production before, you know, you know, and you can transfer that. Yeah, absolutely. and and so much can be done without. I think more can be done actually without staging. It's harder, and you can ask more of the singers because go back to I mean the idea that when you lose a sense, if you lose your sight or lose your, that the others become heightened. Yep. And so if we've taken the visual out of this production. The audio darn well better be heightened. Yeah, yeah. Or we haven't done our job. So Absolutely. we have the luxury of not needing to have it memorized, and but it needs to be. Now we can focus on other now things, we can, right? Yeah. People can literally sit back and not have to watch what's often sometimes very distracting on stage. So sometimes the singing suffers because there's so much going on in your mind, but now where it can just be the singing. And it's different than a recording, listening to a recording, because there is that live element. So it feels, and the orchestra's playing, and but without the drama, I think it's it's a different experience that you need to need to experience once. Just right. a live concert production. A live, well done. Well done, production. hopefully. Yeah. Right. Because I mean, I'm sure you have been to concert productions. I know I have, where that step isn't taken for whatever reason if it's a matter of rehearsal time or or what where it's not as as intense as it could be right, right. it just kind of gets phoned in exactly yeah. right it's like oh i don't have to memorize i don't need to i don't need to think about this it's like right. no you honestly have to think about it more right because you don't have the potential benefit of oh look i'm sobbing on a sofa to show how sad right. i am it's like well no you actually have to show it now it's like the level of thought that goes into a radio play Absolutely. With the Foley man. And Absolutely. the timing that has to be there that doesn't need to be there on TV. Yep. Right? Yep, for sure. And I think the hard thing for people is understanding that form. I think the details are easy to understand. It's the form. It's an opera. I mean, this is going to be two and a half hours or more, mm-hmm. right? Is it over yet? <laughs> is, has the big part happened? Yeah. What's happening in the story? What are we supposed to be listening for? So yeah. I think the big thing would be Listen to some excerpts. Get familiar. Don't don't let the first time you hear it be the mm. concert. Just listen to the famous stuff. Maybe just sure. La, La Traviata, Semper Libra, La Traviata, yep. Yep. German scene, the finale, death scene. She yeah. dies. By yeah. the way, yeah. But you end up with some landmarks. Yeah. When you get to the concert See, for sure. And you'll have a synopsis, and you'll be able to go through it. But once you've kind of worked out the major landmarks, 
you can focus on the details knowing that you're still on the map and you haven't missed an exit. Right. Right? Thanks, Carlos. Before we wrap up this episode, I have one more segment for you. As Carlos was saying at the end of his interview, it's a great idea to come to a concert with an idea of what you're listening for. So I'm going to take a few minutes now and tell you about a few of the highlights of La Traviada. There will be links to performances available online in the show notes, so you can have a listen before this weekend's shows. Let's go in chronological order. The first piece I'll bring your attention to is a no-brainer, the Brindisi, the Libiamo, the drinking song, which marks the real start of the opera. If you've heard anything from La Traviata, it was probably this song. I've used it several times in the background music for this show alone. In this piece, Alfredo and Violetta say a toast, to pleasure, to love, to wine. A rousing piece, lots of fun, playfully surtitled by one opera critic as Let's Get Hammered. (laughs) And he's not wrong. The next moment most worth pausing on, in my opinion, is the scene between Violetta and Alfredo, which follows on the Libiamo's heels. Undi felice. Alfredo begins with a heartfelt declaration of love for Violetta. She responds by telling him she doesn't know how to love. The two melodies, Alfredo's lyric passion and Violetta's light-hearted denial, then intertwine in a gorgeous duet to end the scene. Look for some of the motifs from this duet to show up in Violetta's aria, which comes right after. Ah, forse lui. The first section is a painful expression of Violetta's doubts. Could Alfredo be the person whom she's always dreamed of loving? She decides in the second section, Sempre Libera, that no, it can't be. She must always be free. She can never love. And that brings us to the end of Act 1. The scene that is next on my list of favorites is the very end of Act 2. The first half of Act 2 features an intense scene between Violetta and Germain, Alfredo's father, which could be a play in itself, but the finale of Act 2, well... We begin with Violetta's angst over speaking to Alfredo again, in Invitato a qui seguirmi. Her fears are proved correct, as Alfredo openly humiliates her in front of her guests. The choral dismay at Alfredo's behavior is cut short by Alfredo's father, and the tension just keeps building throughout his aria Disprezzo Degno. Alfredo doesn't let it drop either. His anguished doubts lead us into a beautiful ensemble piece that closes the act. And in doing my research for this episode, I found the best description of this number I've ever read, written by Sir Dennis Foreman in his Good Opera Guide to La Traviata. I hear, quote, Germain has a sweet, sad plaint. Can this be my boy? Alfredo is quite fed up with himself. What a shit I am. The chorus is hushed, shocked, embarrassed. Poor Violetta. My God, how awful. Germain has a second coming. The girl's a brick. The Baron, I'll get you yet, Alfredo. And Violetta, if only he knew how I love him. End quote. And really, that is essentially all you need to know for the entire opera. The last piece I'll highlight for you is Violetta's final aria, Addio del Passato. Sung just before Alfredo arrives to reconcile with her, Violetta mourns the happy life she could have had. It's a beautiful and painful moment where we get to see Violetta at her most vulnerable, and it makes the lovers' reunion all the more bittersweet. Now, this is a short list of highlights and a very personal one to boot. 
If I missed your favorite moment, please leave a comment, start a discussion. More opera never hurt anyone. I hope. If you know of a situation wherein more opera did hurt someone, please share. That sounds like an interesting episode pitch. And with that, we've come to the end of this episode, continuing our exploration of La Traviata in anticipation of the Calgary Concert Opera Company's production this weekend, September 15th and 16th, 2018. For more info on tickets, please see the show notes. On our next episode... I'm leaving you in suspense. You'll just have to tune in and see what's in store. Thanks for joining me backstage today on In the Wings. We'll be back in two weeks. Toy, toy, toy. You've been listening to In the Wings, a production of the Calgary Concert Opera Company. I'm Emily Deal Reader, your host. If you liked the show, please leave a five-star rating and a review wherever you found us, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, or any other streaming service. Your reviews keep us on the charts, which helps new listeners find us. You can also find us on Twitter, at InTheWingsPod, and you can also like our Facebook page, In the Wings Podcast. Comments? Questions? Drop us a line at inthewingspod at gmail.com. In the Wings is a production of the Calgary Concert Opera Company. Produced, directed, written and hosted by Emily Deal Reader in Calgary, Alberta. Special thanks to our guests this week. Dan Rowley. And Carlos Foggin. 